Well, we continue with the wonderful story of Ruth from chapter 3. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose women you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he said. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he, he, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here till morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he also said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And also, bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you found out, find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great hello again, everyone. So, Lord, we pray that you might open our eyes to the wondrous things in your word. Open our eyes to wonderful things in your word. We cannot see it without you. You pray you might use even my babbling on to speak to people about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin with a question. Who here likes romantic movies? Anyone? Oh, there's a few hands, a few hands. Oh, great. Well, when, when you're watching a really good movie like this, don't you find that you sometimes almost believe you live in it? Uh, it's hard to return to real life after it. And that's because we deeply identify with the characters and we see ourselves in them. And I have mixed feelings about romantic movies, probably for this reason. I think I often see myself in the shoes of the characters. But for this very reason, when there's a happy ending, it means it brings tears to my eyes. Anyone else cry at movies? I definitely do, yes. It's quite embarrassing. But their happy ending has, for a moment, though it is fictional, it's become my happy ending too, because I'm sort of living in the movie. Well, for those who love those romantic narratives, we have one right here in Ruth. Except it's our favourite kind of romance, one with a completely happy ending. So as we explore this striking third chapter of Ruth, have a think. With whom do you most identify in this story? If you were in this story, who would you be? Now, let me say something that might sound crazy. If you are a believer in Christ, then you are part of this story. This is a chapter of the greatest romance epic there has ever been. And everyone belonging to Jesus has a share in it. What do I mean? Well, in the book of Ruth, we see the whole beautiful, glorious narrative of the Bible and the love of God for his people enacted in miniature in this real-life romance story. Don't take my word for it, though. Let me show you this through the word of God so you can see it for yourself. Let's begin by zooming into verse 9, where a startled Boaz wakes to find Ruth lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Are they speaking in riddles? What are they talking about? These words are a puzzle to us when we begin, and they leave us with three big questions at least. First, what does it mean to spread the corner of your garment over someone? Second, what on earth is a guardian redeemer? And third, this is a big one, they're all big ones, but this is a big one. What do, what do these concepts have to do with our relationship to Jesus Christ? Now, let's start with Ruth's request of Boaz to spread the corner of his garment over her. So here, Ruth is asking for something very deep and personal. It's like she's saying, I want to be clothed in the same garment as you. Clothing is symbolic of identity. So Ruth is saying she wants Boaz to cover her in who he is to take in take her into his identity, which is into the family of God, to take on his family name, 
to be, as it were, clothed in his clothing. In short, she desires to be one with him so much that they can say to one another, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And so this is a marriage proposal. So what about the second one? What about this guardian-redeemer idea? Ruth uses this to justify and strengthen this marriage proposal to Boaz. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian-redeemer to our family. What's a guardian-redeemer? Well, redeem can mean to buy back from slavery or, more broadly, to save from a hopeless or a desperate situation. Not all slavery is obvious, however. The concept of guardian-redeemer also applied to those in hopeless circumstances, in bitter loneliness and abandonment that feels like chains around your heart, like a prison around your soul. This sort of slavery to bitter hopelessness is alive and well as ever in our nation today. Maybe you have tasted the sting of its bitterness yourself. Now, remember how Naomi was so sick of life that she wanted to be renamed Mara, meaning bitter, because continuing to live had become so bitter to her heart. Loneliness and abandonment and feeling like their lives had amounted to nothing and were pointless and futile and barren. That's what felt like slavery for these two courageous women. I wonder if any of us can relate to how they were feeling. I know I can a lot of the time. And so for them, redemption was not so much a slavery thing, but it looked like a relationship, a welcome into the family of God, a, a God who brings the lonely into families. This is the sort of proposal that Ruth is making to Boaz, asking him to be the guardian redeemer to her, and by extension to Naomi, by marrying her, by joining her to his family, and thus redeeming them from the abandonment and the hopelessness they felt enslaved by. And so redemption for her was not a financial deal, but it was something deeply personal, something intimate, something overflowing with kindness and love. Maybe you see where this is going next. So with this backstory filled in, we move to our last question, which we'll spend the longest on. What does all this have to do with our relationship to Jesus Christ? Some people would say, nothing, it's just a story in the Old Testament. But this is what I really believe. If you are a believer in Christ, then you are a part of this story too. This is a chapter in the greatest romance epic that has ever been, that everyone belonging to Jesus has a share in. How? In short, the whole idea of marriage, the whole idea of two people becoming one, through love and care and kindness, was created by God as a beautiful, enthralling, wondrous picture of how Jesus Christ is one with his people. The relationship between Christ and his people is repeatedly described like a marriage. It is indeed the paradigmatic marriage of marriages with a beauty and a glory that every marriage here on earth, even the very best ones, are just a partial reflection of. And so in Boaz and Ruth, we see one of these reflections of his glory, a picture of Christ and his people. Now, 
Here's what blows my mind apart in wonder, really. Jesus Christ calls us all together, all his people throughout all of history, including all his people here on earth today. He calls them his bride, the one people of God whom he has become one with in marriage. I've thought on this again and again, and it seems too wonderful, too amazing, too mysterious to be true. What does that even mean? Yet, I only say this, I wouldn't say this any other way, it's only because it's what I sincerely believe that God's word teaches. But it doesn't matter what I think. See what you think. Based on what I think is the clearest passage of all on this beautiful subject, Ephesians 5, 25 to 32, which speaks of husband and wife as a picture of Christ and his people, his church. Now here it is. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And so here is this epic, wondrous story of of romance between Christ and his bride, the people of God, that we are made part of if we trust in him. And do you hear that in verse 32? This is a profound mystery. Yes, it is indeed. A mystery in a biblical sense is not something that we can't know anything about. But it's more something that is so deep that we cannot ever fathom how wonderful it is. To explore this mystery, you might think of it as like a firework going up into the sky and exploding and making it see the explosive beauty ahead and over the head of us, only to see the seemingly infinite depths of stars beyond it. I often feel like my head is swimming when I try to think about these things. But what does that mean? What does it mean for Christ to become one with us as a husband becomes one with his wife? What on earth does that mean? Well, let's approach this holy mystery gradually, one step at a time, using Ruth and Boaz. We begin to get a clue in the language of Ruth's proposal to Boaz in Ruth 3, 9. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now the Hebrew word for garment here is kanaf, a bit like canopy which is more often translated as a wing elsewhere. Ruth is, in Hebrew, saying to Boaz, spread your wing over me. That is the language of her proposal to marry him. Wait a minute. Wings, wings. Where did we hear about wings? Remember last week? All those pictures of wings on the screen. All because of what Boaz said to Ruth in chapter 2. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
There is that same word again, kanaf, wing. What Ruth asks from Boaz to come under his wings in marriage is the same thing that Ruth finds coming under the wings of the one God of Israel. So the marriage of Christ and his people involves a sense of coming under his wings. Now the idea of wing here is refuge, protection, covering, just like Ruth to Boaz. It means that we are protected by one who is infinitely strong. Even more than that, it signifies becoming one with Christ, taking on his identity, taking on his family name, the name of Christian, finding our everything in him. This is what true refuge means. This is what true salvation means. It is based on a deep relationship. We are saved from our sin, not because Christ gives us this abstract thing over here called salvation, but instead because we become one with him. We become clothed with Christ's life, clothed with his identity, clothed with his name, just as Ruth is clothed with the identity of Israel through her marriage to Boaz. Like the marriage ceremony here on earth, all the people of God say together to Jesus, who also says back to them, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. I come to him and what's mine is now his. All my sin and all my failure and all my darkness and all my shame, he takes it upon himself. He bears every ounce of the sentence of judgment that is due on the cross and thus he obliterates it forever. And we are finally free indeed. I come to him and what's his is now mine. Just as you get shared property, just as you get shared bank accounts, Jesus Christ shares the truly infinite riches of his glory, his righteousness, his holiness, his joy, his love with all his people. Because we are now one with him, all these things are now ours. We did not earn them. We do not deserve them. They are ours only by virtue of our being joined to Jesus Christ. And so we see how this concept of guardian redeemer applies most wonderfully to Jesus Christ. Now in Isaiah, we have this mind-blowing statement. When I first read it, I was like, how, how can this even be true? Of how God to his people is both husband and redeemer. The same root word used for Boaz as Redeemer. It's the same word here. This is Isaiah 54. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. We are familiar with this concept of Redeemer, but far less with this concept of Christ being husband to his church, all his people together. This is absolutely mind-blowing. But they are connected together, both these concepts, in the romance of Boaz and Ruth, where her redemption from the pain of her loneliness is found finally in her marriage to Boaz. In the same way, our redemption from cosmic existential loneliness, destitution and fruitlessness because of our estrangement from our creator God, this redemption is through our own guardian redeemer, Jesus Christ. He pays the overwhelming price of his own blood on the cross, the lifeblood of God, 
Think of how infinitely valuable that is in order to buy us back from every form of slavery to our sin, to fear, to evil, so that death and hell have no claim on our lives, no claim on any of us anymore. And all this happens when we, like Ruth with Boaz, become one with Christ so that we are welcomed into full membership of the people of God, the true vine, the body of Christ, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And the wondrous end to this epic romance is that everyone is invited to be part of through giving their lives to Jesus Christ so that our sin becomes his to be destroyed on his cross and his beautiful life becomes ours. The happily ever after. This is found in the soaring words of the final chapters of the Bible. Here's the cry of the great multitude of all God's people in Revelation 19, 6 to 9, praising God the Father, praising Jesus, the Lamb of God. Here it is. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. These are the true words of God indeed. We are invited to be like Ruth, coming under the wings and becoming one with Jesus Christ. Our guardian redeemer, the Lamb of God, who purchased us with his infinitely precious lifeblood. And so we are called to join in the wedding supper that will last forever with Christ and all his people, never to be separated ever again. The question is, will we come to the wedding feast? Will we come to the feet of Jesus who has called us to such oneness with himself? There's no need for fear here. He has nothing but love. Will we allow him to redeem us, to cherish us, to hide us under his wings? And Jesus, we thank you that you are here amongst us. Your Holy Spirit is moving around every place in this room. You are always with us. And we long that we would come under the shelter of your wings. We praise you for this invitation to be one with your son, we thank you that in him we have redemption forever. We thank you that you take away all our shame. You take away everything that we cannot take away ourselves. And you give us your righteousness, your everlasting life, your joy unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, we pray that everyone here, everyone watching online, all the people of this city, this nation may come to be one with you to join in the great wedding supper of the Lamb. This is our longing. 
Lord, be pleased to do this through your Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.